0: Your home for universal basic freeform jazz. My name's Nathan, your cool-it toast.
1: My name's Andy, your jivest toast. And I'm Pat, your freeloading host. Am I allowed to say jive? Yeah, jive is fine. Uh, okay. Well, you are a turkey, so I think that's fine. I am a turkey. Gobble gobble.
0: Hey hey, how is everybody's apocalypse going? Having a good time? Enjoying being stuck in the house? Although. Again, Pat, you're still getting out there.
2: Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm an essential worker, so take that. No, it's fun. At Walmart, they had a line because they're only allowed to have a certain number of people in the store at a time. And so, like, people were lined up. They had, like, a a line of, uh, shopping carts to, like, block the entrance. They only had one entrance open. Um, it was interesting. I mean, it, it really, like, made it seem like End of the (laughs) world. Were people
0: practicing social distancing in the line?
2: Sort of. Not really. Not quite six feet.
0: (sighs) Well, that stinks. But, uh, yeah, that just stinks. I don't have anything. I was going to try and come up with a different thing that, like, seemed like it didn't stink, but it just does. I went to Aldi this week. That was interesting. Did my biggest shop of my lifetime. I spent over $200 at Aldi. Oh!
1: That's. And I ran into
0: somebody at Aldi, Andy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you ran into Caitlin. She was out there collecting coronavirus to bring home.
0: Oh, man. it is so funny because I hadn't left my house in, like, a week and a half. Nice. Um, I had dropped my stepson off at his dad's house, which is, like, across town from where I live. And had gone to this Aldi because I saw there weren't, like, many cars in the parking lot. And, like, I run into somebody that I know. <laughs> like, I run into Caitlin after I had just spent the previous night with your, like, voice in my ear all <laughs> night long. And I told her, like, <laughs> we we're commiserating about, like, having to listen to you too much. So <laughs> it, It's a funny
1: joke, but it's That's just great. a joke. Neither of you listen to me. Uh, <laughs> oh,
0: I listen to you all the time. Yeah, so.
1: <laughs> so,
0: I both listen to you, bow, 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 bow. and I have to listen to um, you. So. so,
1: it's been a, a little bit of a wacky and wild week for me. Um, a great thing that happened to me just last night at about 1 a.m., is I became an uncle for the first time. Yeah, Yay! very excited. My uh, yeah, my brother and his wife had their it's baby. Awesome. We're still waiting on Caitlin's brother and his wife. They'll be in a month or two. But um, so that was very exciting. Lucy, little Lucy, oh, well. uh, is my new niece. It's a bummer though that like we can't be a part of it yet. <laughs> that is amazing. You know, but um. Where do do they live? Really close, actually, like a few blocks away.
0: So I've heard of people doing this thing where you go up to the house and you, like, have a window between you guys, but you can still see the baby. I've seen that uh, multiple times, and that's something you can still do while practicing your social distancing.
1: Yeah, and we, uh, you know, we probably will once they are home, but uh, for now, you know, we're just sort of celebrating in place.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, congratulations. I don't know if you guys have seen this. There are people who are setting up, like, scavenger hunts around their houses. They're putting, like, Mm -hmm. a bear in the window or, like, little hearts. Like, you're supposed to walk around the house and look for things, and they've set up, like, messages in chalk drawings on their driveway to tell you, like, what the rules are and, like, how many points to find a heart, how many points to find a bear. That's awesome. It's my Interesting.
0: My sister, uh, my little sister, Lexi, who lives in Toledo, set up a—she's a, an excellent artist, and she set up an art gallery in her front yard. She did a bunch of paintings. She attached them to, like, yard sign uh, things and put them in her front yard for people walking by to have a little art show. And uh, she ended up getting on the the local news in Toledo too, but that's nothing new for Lexi. She she's on the news pretty often. That's cool. She's gay and very out and in Toledo. And yeah, she's a big part of the scene there. Yeah. Yeah. She <laughs>
2: like she's is there a big a deal. deal.
0: She very literally started is, a big part of the scene. Mm-hmm. So
2: is there a picture that we can share on like the Twitter or something of uh of her art? Yeah, that'd be cool.
0: I'll put some stuff up, and it's all very coronavirus themed. Like there's one. Of a roll of toilet paper, and there's one that just says "Mama Ma My Corona" and with a like Corona beer in there and stuff. So <laughs> she themed it for the apocalypse. It's been very nice. nice.
1: Nice. So
0: the other thing I saw is like people are starting to put out their Christmas decorations because everybody has some Christmas decorations and everybody's going to take walks all the time. So it's a way for people to get involved and <laughs> show some solidarity with each other. That's, That's cool. cool. I should say we we live in a very Jewish-heavy neighborhood, so I should walk back my statement. Everybody has Christmas decorations. Many people the have uh, Christmas people often have Christmas decorations. We don't really have outdoor Christmas decorations because that's not something that I do. But
1: mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah. well, cool. So that was just one thing that happened to me this week. That, well, so I mentioned on our on our podcast last week that that I. Gone to a couple food pantries to um to kind of help defray some of our costs during this, because both Caitlin and I are laid off right now. um And so <laughs> last night, my dad texts me, says, hey, are you home? I'm going to drop something. I want to drop something off. Yeah. OK. So he gets here, and I go outside, and he's like, well, oh, we were at the grocery store, and I bought too much. <laughs> Here. That's a
0: very dad thing to do.
1: I was. I uh, love it, man. I mean, thank you for for not for being how do you say mindful of my ego, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's I, that awesome. was really.
1: I really appreciated that. That was really cool, and and you know, I, I bring that up mainly just to say that there's been, you know, there's a lot of talk that that it's going to be another couple weeks before even the hospitals, the the stress on the hospitals peaks, like. Right. They're thinking mid to late April for, for everything just to hit its peak, let alone to start to dwindle again. And, you know, there's just been so many different stories of businesses and people helping other people and making, finding ways to help everybody out that I th- I just think it's really cool and kind of not uniquely American, but I think we're really good at this sort of thing.
0: Absolutely.
2: So,
1: so the
2: economy has started to creep back, but I'm, um, I'm wondering if we haven't seen quite the long-term impacts yet that there will be, because uh, people are still not back to work, and they won't necessarily be back to work for a while. No. So.
1: Yeah, well, and and there's a lot of kind of peripheral effects to the economy that have been happening, and I don't want to – I know that there's a big um, (laughs) – From the the far liberal, not far liberal, but the liberal wing of the country, there's this pervading sentiment that who gives a rat's ass about the economy? We need to save lives. And I understand where that comes from, but it's also foolish because we're already starting a recession and a recession is going to last a lot longer than the disease will and affect a lot more people.
0: And it's not every Republican, but there's a wing of the Republican Party that is like, die for the economy.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's that going on, too.
0: So that is, I would say, not great either.
1: There's a remarkable lack of nuance in how our country deals with things, which <laughs> I think is one of the great things about our podcast is by by bringing the balance, we, we, we can get into some of that nuance and, and deeper understanding of the intricacies of what's actually going on in the world. Well, neither yeah. of
2: those could possibly be a hundred percent. Right. 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 Because, uh, I mean, if you just tank the economy, there are people whose lives depend on the economy. Like maybe you can't afford your life-saving medicine anymore or, you know, equivalent, you know, they're there. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it, it took us 10 years to dig out of the 2008 recession, and to to pro, like decently recover from that, or uh, yeah, and this yeah.
0: is this is gonna, gonna put this like this is gonna put this to shame. I mean, this is We're, in, we're in Great Depression yeah. territory here, especially towards like as we get deeper into this thing.
1: And it took decades to dig out of the Great yep. Depression. So you know, when people shrug that off, they are being disingenuous, living in bad faith. They're they're or just being downright foolish. In my opinion.
0: But I can't say I fully disagree with them. I I think there needs to be a balance. One of the reasons we're in as bad of a situation as we are now is that we were worried more worried about the economy than we worried about lives. It just came out a couple of days ago that the Trump administration didn't start ordering medical supplies till mid-March in terms of masks and respirators and things like that. When uh, they knew about this, I believe the very last day of December of last year is when Trump first heard about it.
1: If you want to talk about what our elected representatives did do as soon as they heard about this, what a bunch of them did was sell their stock
0: <laughs>
1: in yeah. – uh, sell off a bunch of stock in – in, in Sectors of the economy that were likely to tank, buy up stock in in sectors of the economy like video like video conferencing and telecommunications and things. Yeah, like I know that. you guys
0: don't like like I know you don't like moral absolutes, but those people. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: I know you're going to have to bleep that out. Right, exactly. Fuck them all, take their money, send them to jail. Done. Oh, every single one of them. And and listen, that's a bipartisan group. As I think it's pretty much split right down the middle, pretty evenly. Fact check, fact
0: check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Just to be clear, as of the recording of this podcast, those accused of U.S. Code 15, subsection 78U 1, civil penalties for insider trading, are Senator Kelly Loeffler, Republican from Georgia, Senator Richard Burr, Republican from North Carolina, Senator Diane Feinstein, Democrat from California, and Senator James Inhofe, Republican from Oklahoma. Now, I'm no math magician like our good friend Andy, but that's three to one. There's only four people, so it doesn't really matter, but eh,
1: it's,
0: it's still more Republicans. Bad news for those senators, though. The SEC has released a strongly worded warning against insider trading, so we're good here, right? Anyway, let's get back to the show.
1: Back check, back check, back check. Send them to jail. They lo- they're they out of office. They never hold office. They should never, I mean, they could come out of jail eventually, but they better be there for five to ten years. That, that issue has been around for a little while in <laughs> the news,
2: and it was suggested, Um, I, I want to say AOC might have said that, you know, we should just not allow Congress people to own... Private stock in companies. Like, they can buy index funds and just have, like, a general stake in the economy as a whole. But insider trading, um, right now is not really, uh, regulated in any way for members of Congress. Like, yeah, I I heard that.
0: Right. That was Robert Reich's second way to become a billionaire, right?
2: (laughs) So, it seems like South policy, like, uh, there would be a barrier to implementing it in that the people who are voting on it have a vested interest, a conflict of interest in um, voting on legislation like that. But it's it makes sense. Uh, it's it's common sense legislation, and we should tr- probably try to push
1: for something like that.
0: Speaking of common sense yeah. and the well, economy,
1: that was. That was... Well, real, real quick, <laughs> because there was another idea floated, um, and there's also the idea of blind portfolios, that they could still have normal stocks, but they have no way of influencing when yes. and how those stocks are bought and sold. It is managed entirely behind blinders. They don't even know what stocks they have. Yeah, I mean, that would that would work pretty well, too. Yeah, just as sort of an alternative, just there's lots of, there's a lot of different, the point being there's more than one way to skin this cat. Well, so we wanted to talk about a particular issue today. We wanted to
2: talk mm-hmm. about. Skinny universal cats. basic. Thank you, yes. Universal
1: basic income and skinny cats. <laughs> it's not just a, um, like a random topic. It's pretty, uh, the reason I, I, I kind of pushed to, to do this one. Sooner rather than later is there's a lot of speculation from from academic economists that this may the coronavirus COVID crisis may kind of be the catalyst to moving into the universal basic income.
0: One one meme I've seen recently is uh, what do you need to turn a uh, Trump supporter into a socialist? The answer is twelve hundred dollars.
2: Uh.
0: so i feel like that's that's where we're at right now Uh, if
2: we're memeing uh the the meme that i've seen is it's so
1: perfect for this format the the
2: problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money zing
1: (laughs) got him i bezos
0: has a bunch of money we'll be fine
1: well all right so for the listeners, universal basic income. If you if you follow this podcast, you probably are kind of already hip to the concept via Andrew Yang. Yang gang, 2020. Rah, 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 rah. I'm, I'm still I'm debating writing writing in Andrew Yang for the, for the uh, presidential yeah.
0: election. That'd be a good way to waste <laughs> yeah. it, for,
1: for sure. It'd be a great way to waste it. Um Well, so without going down that rabbit hole any further, <laughs> um, so Andrew Yang was campaigning on a platform of universal basic income, basically. That was the one of the core tenets of his platform. He mm-hmm. wanted to send a thousand dollars to every American every month, right? Adults, I think. Yeah. Right. Right. What Initial do you guys reactions? think
2: about that? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think?
1: Like on the surface, it sounds a whole lot like socialism, doesn't it? Mm.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: As the guy who doesn't have a problem with socialism, mm,
1: I don't know. I'm not know. necessarily – well, all right. So let's start by talking about some of the pros of the universal basic basic income. So for obvious reasons, it provides a social safety net, right? Arguably, it could replace the social safety net welfare mm-hmm. programs. Right. Um, the, the basic idea is every person – has the enough money to get the things that they need a roof over their head food in their bellies clothes um, what, like clothes ba-
0: basic, the basic
1: necessities right. this is not about living lavishly right it's probably a lot of hot dogs and ramen but the basic your basic needs are met right so a lot of liberals are really into this idea because they see people who are on, in, on and in the welfare programs, I guess just in the welfare programs, who are still not really making ends meet. They're not able to, if they go find work, then they end up getting kicked off of those programs and right. end up actually making less money and some things like that. So there's a lot of problems there. And of course, the conservatives don't like all of those social safety net programs either because they cost a sh- Nike's... Of money. That's not an appropriate word. <laughs>
0: right.
1: A lot of Republicans and, and conservatives don't like these programs because they cost a lot of money. And at least traditionally, uh, maybe up until about 20 years ago or so, conservatives were really concerned about... Fiscal um, responsibility? About fiscal responsibility.
2: Yeah.
1: Have you guys? It used to be a thing that they were concerned with.
2: Have you guys ever heard of uh, Ayn Rand? i mean i I read
0: i read atlas shrugged maybe 20 years ago it is a uh well-written book with just the worst message
2: ever so i don't necessarily fully espouse objectivism objectivism is the philosophy that's put forward by ayn rand in a couple of her works including atlas shrugged the basic idea of it is that when you Help out somebody when you give somebody something for free, you are taking away part of their agency. And it's, it's an amoral thing to do to, uh, help somebody without asking something in return. Like trading with people would be morally acceptable, but when you, when you give somebody something that, um, you're eroding Something that is essential to them—that that they aren't taking responsibility for their own existence. Now, I don't—I don't necessarily think that that's a hundred percent true, but I also would worry that if you are putting out something like a UBI and people's basic needs to survive are sort of met. What's the percentage of people, how many people are going to look at that and say, like, okay, well, now I don't have to take any responsibility for my own life anymore. I don't have to have any agency over what I do.
1: Yeah, and I think you you really kind of tapped into something that I think is really kind of interesting about that ayn rand's philosophy and she's a even i will call say sit here and say i think she's kind of a lunatic yeah i i don't want to
2: make it sound like i think she's great and i don't i don't fully i don't fully espouse this philosophy but i think it's interesting to think about
1: it is interesting because it sort of simultaneously butts up against existentialism in the sense of you know you You define your own essence, and if someone else is giving you stuff, they're defining you. Mm -hmm. And so this existential philosophy of you taking that agency and defining yourself, that my existence precedes my essence. But then on the flip side, also to say that it takes away to to be giving someone something takes away from their essence implies that there is a pre existing essence. So it's a little I think it's a it's an interesting philosophy in that regard but in terms of practical application i mean i can tell you that there's definitely merit to it you're you're creating philosophy is not ridiculous you're creating a
2: dependence so like those people can not necessarily uh fend for themselves and if they're on it for a long time that you you're removing their ability to uh be self-sufficient
0: so but what i would say is So what we're doing, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but we're creating a floor for people. We're creating an economic floor that if everything in your life goes horrible, you can still eat those ramen noodles and have, like, the worst apartment on your block and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You can still live, whereas we have a floor right now, and it's death. People starving and not being able to live and dying. Because we've Uh seen... There's like the coronavirus is brought forth like we have a huge problem with the homeless population in this country because the way they they normally sustain themselves is through the charity of others. But those others are in their houses now and the places the the shelters that they would normally stay in are infected out the wazoo with coronavirus because you're crammed on top of each other. And so if those people had a, a basic level of of a like an apartment and food and the ability to take care of themselves they we would not be in as bad of a situation i'm not saying that there aren't individuals who wouldn't still like take
1: their thousand dollars and do whatever with it well i think to pat's point you know i do think there's there's a lot of merit to the idea that handing out that ubi would undercut motivation for some people they would not you know without that need in order to make ends meet to to, to live another day without that imperative to go work they might not
2: what right might I, they go I, do? I might Who knows?
1: not like I, I might
2: realistically consider like uh, taking up a career in playing video games you
1: know but that's that's exactly the point of it is um you don't need to and so all right
0: well, and um, again, like, this is, this is to get back to your guys' personal freedom argument. Like, what did they do? Who okay, care? Like, who cares? Like, that's, that's, exactly that's not your right. problem. The, there have been, like, small studies. We haven't ever done a, a study that I think gives us enough information to see. But they've done small studies and barely anybody stopped working. They just had better quality of life. And some parents ended up staying home with their kids that wouldn't have stayed home uh, with others. But what they didn't see was these this rampant abuse of alcohol and drugs or anything like that, that there wasn't an increase in those things just because people had extra money to spend.
1: Or at least not a substantial increase. Right, exactly. Uh, And I think the point is people have been doing that kind of thing anyway. If they were going to, they're going to. Since when has being poor ever stopped people from getting drugs? And... I, I hate to say it, but
0: arguably the reason why some people end up in these situations where they end up abusing substances is because they're in a situation where they don't see any hope getting out of it, and this would arguably give them that hope. No, I, not for everybody.
1: I agree. I think that I think that's exactly right. Now I want to I want to take a moment to make my pitch here. This is my my appeal to to conservatives, to fiscal conservatives. People who are looking at UBI and thinking, how on earth could we pay that much to just send one or two thousand dollars to every adult American for life, right? That would cost an insane amount of money, so it would seem. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't necessarily, so I think a huge portion of that cost gets defrayed by the fact that you can cut ties to all of that alphabet soup of different other social safety net programs. No. You don't need food stamps anymore. You don't need you know Section 8 housing anymore. You don't need any of the unemployment anymore. All of those other social safety net program- programs become irrelevant. And my argument, I would say... You pair up UBI with, with universal health care, and you literally don't need like anything else. Right. Anything else is nice. Is the, bu-
0: the bureaucracy that you can get rid of is astounding. Oh. And the, the value of the programs go, goes up tremendously if
1: you don't have to deal with that bureaucracy. And from people who are concerned about the nanny state thing, you don't need to tell people what to do with the money. You give them their check, and you know what? As If you're concerned about what they might do with it, They'll pay, they'll pay the price. If they decide to squander that check on drugs and alcohol instead of room and board, it's not your problem. you can reasonably wash your hands of that and no one would really – well, some people would still look down on you for that, but that's the other so thing. So I, I think that this is really important. We might change this
2: in the future, but historically, when in our constitution, in our legal system – did we ever guarantee somebody the the right to live, the right to survive? We might guarantee that the government is going to give you due process before they take um your your life or your freedom or your property. We might guarantee that the the government is going to treat everyone equal in the eyes of the law or that you have free speech or the right to bear arms, but we it would be completely unprecedented for us to say that everybody has the right to have enough money to survive. That would be a radical expansion of our legal framework that we've never, well, we've never I done Well, like if I may,
1: yeah, if I may, in response to that, can I read you the preamble to the constitution? Yeah, I'd love to. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, Ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I think right there in the first freaking sentence of the Constitution is all the legal justification you need for this.
0: Promote the general welfare is interesting.
2: Right, but they didn't (laughs) write the Constitution and immediately say like, okay, Nobody is allowed to die anymore. We are going to secure the funds that are necessary to make sure that everybody has a livable lifestyle. Um, that that wasn't their intention at the time, and that wasn't the interpretation any time since.
0: Well, we have Social Security. It, it has been it has been yeah. the interpretation in the past. Social Security is relatively we saw, new.
1: We, we have Medicaid.
0: Yeah, we've we've done things to help the general welfare, I don't want to keep on using that phrase, of the country before, but I, I don't think you're wrong, Pat. I, this is something that I brought up in previous episodes, I think. We don't have a goal as a country right now. We haven't, like, written our mission statement as a country, because it's one of those things where either we're out for everybody, and we're trying to give everybody a, a leg up and a way, a way to uh, better themselves, or... We're all about personal freedoms and Jeff Bezos is what we like hold as the most important person in our country because he has the most money and that means that he has taken the best advantage of his personal freedoms to better himself.
2: See, I'm, I'm all about making, making, uh, good investments in our future. So when you talk about something like public education or you know, making sure that our children get lunches at school, you know, I, th- those are things that I really like subsidizing because they're going to pay dividends in the future. You're going to get technological advances from investing in the children and you're not going to see the results of that, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years. But right. the economy is eventually going to not only recoup anything you spend on that but actually pay dividends so I mean that's the kind of thing I believe in spending on but if you're spending on you know making sure that everybody doesn't have to work or you know has i I, I don't that's I, not the, I don't think that's, that's, that's not the goal same.
0: here it's a I think it's to, to relieve stress and to make make it so that people have a slightly easier life so they can innovate better, so they can be the ones to create that next big
1: thing. If you frame it in that way, it sounds it sounds pretty good. So, and I think this is super, it's such an interesting facet of this conversation because this is where your concept of what uh, freedom is comes into play. So really quickly, like, when I say the word f- like freedom, especially individual freedom, what do you think of? What what does that mean to you? That you can
2: make the choices, the major choices about your life without duress, without extortion, that that so, I can choose the next step of my life um without anybody unduly influencing me in that or like cutting off possibilities that I might
1: have? Pat so you said the ability to make those big decisions about your life and its direction without duress. Mm-hmm.
2: Is
1: that about right? Right. So like an infringement on that would be like going to prison because I couldn't choose to
2: move okay. to San Diego if I'm in prison or on probation or something like
1: that. So you can like lose that freedom. Sure. Okay. So so I guess my question is if – wouldn't you be more free to make the best decision for you if you if if you took out that factor of you have to pay your bills, you have to pay rent and put and feed yourself and things like that? So if you didn't have to worry about those things, wouldn't you be more free to make the best decision for you about your life? On on its surface, that
2: seems to be true, but the the conception of freedom that I have is freedom from oppression by the government, like specifically by the government. I don't necessarily have freedom from oppression that exists in nature. I don't have freedom from
1: natural laws. So and I'm glad you said that because this is kind of why I was asking that question in the first place. Um, in general, when people talk about freedom, there's kind of two different ways that they think about it. And one is think people think of the freedom to do things and other people think of the freedom from oppression Mm -hmm. and it's the same a concept but kind of from two different angles right so in terms of the freedom to do things uh, implementing a UBI pretty much maxes that out you don't you can literally you could just sit at home and play video games you wouldn't even have to do it as a have a career playing video games you could just play video games for your life if that's ultimately where your pursuit of happiness took you okay right
0: and there are definitely and i'm specifically using
1: pursuit of happiness
0: this wasn't true when i was a kid but there are definitely many many people out there making a good living playing video games as their career right now
1: from the freedom from side there's That's where that concern creeps in of, like, how much am I going to get taxed in order to make this happen, right? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're thinking about, Pat? Yeah. I mean, I,
2: I, I want to make a distinction also that, like, you also – it would be super neat if the government would make sure that, like, monopolistic companies aren't imp- oppressing me, too. Uh, like, things like right. the EPA or things like, um, you know – uh, monopoly-breaking uh, the way that they control the market. Um, that mm-hmm. would be super neat. But um, the most important thing is that they're not, like, arresting me without due process or executing
1: people without due process. I'm sorry. I have having a tough time understanding what any of that has to do with UBI. Can, I, I, am I missing something? Uh, you asked what freedom was. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> so, so it's, it's um, your fault. It is that well and, and and here's the thing is uh, we're i guess in terms of ubi police state is not really and it doesn't it's not a factor right that's a separate sort of thing and if you are breaking laws and the laws are unjust and stuff that's kind of a separate okay okay discussion, but I Im- guess.
2: importantly i don't think that um keeping me from starving is an essential part of that freedom i think I should be able to starve to death if I didn't take responsibility for providing for myself.
1: And I, I would argue that that doesn't go away with UBI. Okay. Be, and in fact, it's maybe heightened.
0: The dumbasses who say that I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to not save up for my future or I'm not going to like pay for health insurance or whatever, and they, they end up taking a chance, which I think is our right... That's part of America. You know, you get to take a chance financially for a bigger payout. But the thing is, when that chance doesn't work out, which it doesn't most of the time, and you end up destitute and on the streets, dying in the gutter, you're not going to be in the gutter being like, well, I took my shot, time to die now. Yeah, and... You're going you're going to expect the social safety net to save your life, because that's reasonable. And so if we force everybody to do that from the beginning whether they think they have the right to not do it or not, not to pay into it or not, they, it makes it better for all of us in the long run. So
2: it's it's an expansion of things that we're already paying for, though. Like, I've already taken out of my check, like, um, you know, the unemployment, the, the disability, the Social Security, uh, the taxes. Like, I'm already paying several times over for this social safety net and now you want to make it bigger like no, no i think
0: that's my we, whole
1: point is consolidating it makes it smaller
0: yeah, it replaces it, it you you wouldn't be paying your social security anymore you wouldn't be paying a lot of those you still it, have to pay intact it you wouldn't,
1: wouldn't
2: make the slice of the pie smaller um it might it might replace some of those things but most people aren't already taking out More than the UBI.
0: Right. And then, but you also have to take into consideration, you're, you're pulling those taxes out of your check. You're also pulling out your health insurance out of that check. And you're also pulling out your, like, a number of other things, the way you live your life out of your check. Um, and those things wouldn't be an issue for you under, I mean, I know we're talking about UBI, UBI, but universal healthcare would help you out there as well.
1: I yeah so I'm I my argument here Pat is all of that stuff goes away. Um you if if with with and yeah okay paired with universal healthcare um and, uh, UBI and universal healthcare I think are the really the only social safety net things that that are that co- they cover everything. And right. so it eliminate first of all it consolidates all these different things that all of us are paying I guess I always kind of assume that a big part of that is eliminating a lot of tax loopholes for the wealthy, but that should be happening separately. That's independent. There's no one, no one should get out of paying their taxes. And we had that discussion last week.
0: I was, I was just um, uh, reading an article that the average American who ends up having to go to the hospital because they have coronavirus and they're, they're hospitalized and need to stay in the hospital will end up paying between 46 and $74,000. If they, if they don't, if they don't have health insurance. So, I don't know about you guys, but my household would take a while to recover from a $76,000 bill.
2: Or, or
1: three
2: $76,000 bills.
1: Yeah. So, um, but we're not talking about healthcare today, so I don't want to. Hover too much it, over that. It's weird though because but, it's all but like the it idea is all is,
0: intertwined though. Like it, it does like I'm does, sure we'll we'll touch on it again. But
1: yes, it does, and it also operates on the same basic principle of pooling risk. Right. Same thing happens with healthcare. Most of the t- most of the you you don't you're not going to the doctor all the time. You're paying healthcare every month. You're not going to the doctor every time. So most of the m- healthcare payments you make are sort of worthless, right? under UBI you pool everybody so instead of pooling you know pulling you're already pulling taxes from everybody and pulling money out of everybody's paycheck to pay for things like food stamps to pay for unemployment to pay for medicare medicaid to pay for housing supplements to pay for all, all this other all these other programs those things can all be folded into one operation first of all you, what, decimate the amount of administrative overhead and the bureaucracy tied up with it. Right. There's a huge expense eliminated. Second of all, you're, you're giving it out indiscriminately. Everybody gets it. Everybody pays into it. Right. And by everybody pays into it, you've got enough pool. Uh, you've got a big enough pool for everybody to get their cup of soup out, so to speak. So – Um, that's not like a common phrase. I just made that up. So
2: this is more of a a mathematical argument, and we can actually look at the numbers. But if, if you're trying to convince me that giving everyone a thousand dollars a month is going to save me personally money or to save us all money in the long run, like, I don't, I don't think that that's mathematically true.
0: It, uh there' been studies done that says it would increase the us economy by about twelve percent
2: that's that's not that's not what I'm talking about is the overall economy. I'm talking about like people's individual amount that they're paying into it and amount that they're getting out of it like there's there's a net deficit there and that has to come from somewhere
0: yeah I mean it'll it balances out a lot of stuff that I was talking about last week with billionaires.
1: Okay, so you're you're concerned about the numbers, Pat, and um, so to that point, right now, just on Social Security and Medicare, the U.S. spends about 1.3 trillion dollars in a year. That's actually the number from 2013, because we're not going to quite be able to compare apples to apples here. Um, the most recent estimate for the US to implement universal basic income is that it would cost about $3.8 trillion. So just Medicare and, and Social Security alone would cover about half of the cost. And that does not take into account any food stamp programs, housing programs, and other programs that could be cut. So it points out that we can cover most of this cost with what we're already spending by just reorganizing it. It doesn't, it also doesn't factor in the saved administrative costs. And it also doesn't factor in the, the taxable income by eliminating loopholes for the, like wealthy, you know? Right.
0: And I think the most important part is it doesn't take into account that it's money that's going to be dumped directly back in the economy. It's like the whole program will essentially like recycle almost all all of what it po- pays out every month back into the economy, because the people the the majority of this is going to are not people who have like a ton of savings. It's people who are going to be spending this stuff on their rent and on uh, basic necessities and things like that. So it's going to benefit the economy greatly.
2: Yeah, but that's I mean you could say that exact same thing about the way that we're already spending social programs. No,
0: because the bu- the bureaucracy costs a crazy amount of money and people for example uh on unemployment have to go out and they have to prove that i'm trying to find a job it doesn't matter if that job uh, like appeals to them or they're going to be good at it or anything they have to go through this like th- th- this weird cycle of just doing busy work to just make enough money so they can feed their family so
2: so you're this would take so a- is a question of degrees i mean it doesn't mean that the money disappears the money that we spend on Medicare right. doesn't disappear and not go back into the economy. Like, I, I don't think that that goes anywhere. I, I, I think that any spending that you're going to do, the money does not disappear. The money goes back into the economy.
0: Sort, sort
2: of. I mean, I
0: think there's a difference between spending money on bureaucracy and giving people a check.
1: By the way, that um, that estimate of $3.8 trillion, uh, would be is based on paying people twelve thousand dollars a year. Okay. Um that is not the only proposal that's been thrown out there. There've, there's another proposal that guarantees ten thousand dollars per year to everyone. I don't have a clear estimate on how much that would cost significantly less.
0: And can I can I just say from my perspective, I am not necessarily proposing like nationwide UBI tomorrow. What I'd like is I'd like for so many different things uh, <laughs> that are uh, considered to be progressive, for us to do some, like, large-scale tests. See how it works. Like, do it for everybody in Ohio there's a few. or Wisconsin there's a few or whatever. Out
2: there.
0: Right. Well, but no- um, but nothing's been done on a large scale before. Like, wh- what you need is you uh... need to dump... I-, I haven't seen it. I think the highest one I saw was, like, in the 70s in Canada.
2: Here's the problem with that. When you give somebody something for free and you create a dependence like that you cannot just take it away you're going to do more damage by saying like okay we're going to do ubi and we're just going to test it out and then stop it you're you're going to do a lot more damage that way and it's going to be really really politically unpopular like let's let's say we experiment on it and we determine that it's a complete failure I'm not saying that that will happen, but you don't know that that won't happen. And then we decide that, um, you know, politically what we're going to do is we're going to take that away. That, that no longer is going to be politically solvent. You can't.
0: I just think, like, that's true if you say at the beginning, Hey, everybody, you're going to get UBI forever. But if you say for the next 24 months, we have this money set aside. You and your family will be getting. $1,000 One thousand dollars per month per adult in your household. The
2: person who's going to be able to take power in that position is going to be the person who promises the most UBI. Absolutely, so it, and that is, no. a,
0: that is a no. I think that is a fair argument about this that we
1: would need to solve. There, I think it's easy to solve. I think you do it right from the get-go where you tie that amount that you're getting. To a the poverty standard, line.
0: yeah, to the poverty
2: line or whatever it is. Don't, yeah. but not and, a problem. And that, nobody
1: gets to just offer to increase and it. That legislation it's can increased be by, metrics,
2: by statistics. The, the legislation can always be overturned
1: by majority. You'd have published. to, you'd
0: have to put it in the constitution. You'd have to make and, it a constitutional amendment.
1: It would have to be core to it. It would probably have to be central we to it. Still but, but the, the point is, it's not something that someone gets to campaign on. But no, I no Pat, I think your
0: point is well taken here. That is absolutely a huge concern
1: that is not a big concern to me it does not i'm not it's it's not uh,
0: if, if you don't if you don't treat it right from the beginning it is a a massive concern
2: so so we could have bad actors that that want to do nothing else but just seize power on on the back of ubi when everything else that they want to do is completely antithetical to american values Whatever that looks didn't like. Didn't we just
0: – we in one of our previous episodes, we talked about the Alaskan politician mm-hmm. who promised more in uh, oil rights uh, funding, and then it all imploded because that was his only thing. He didn't care about whether it was accurate or not. He cared about being able to lie to the constituents to take power. I can't and, think of anybody else who's done that in recent and history. That's so,
2: and that's uh, popular, though. Like, people will gravitate towards that. Like, oh, this guy wants to Absolutely. give us more – they all decided to vote for it. Like to me, that is a terrible experiment. Like that, the results are horrifying. Right,
0: and I think that proves that what you're saying is like an, it's an concern. obvious concern. That it's a concern that we need to uh, fix, like right off the bat.
2: If we need if to fix it, a, so that if not an inherent problem that is intractable. I, it's definitely not why would not it be intractable, intractable. how it's how is it possibly intractable easy to solve. because because you can't it, you can't make legislation that can't be overturned you can't hard you, can you can't det- hardwire legislation to say that no one can ever overturn this that's not the way that our legal system works
0: well but you don't you don't make it that no one can ever do it like, again i think take social security you've been trying to change social security for years for years and they can't do it you have to make this a similar argument. You have so, to make this Social security, a similar situation. Social
2: security is another one of those creating uh, dependence things where it's going to be, you know, it, it's it's extremely unpopular for people to say we're going to make a change. Right.
0: Good. That's what we want. We want it to be extremely unpopular for people to say I'm going to make a change to UBI. Do you want to put those same, those same guardrails on this type of thing? It's not that you can't change it. It's that you would have to have an overwhelming majority from both parties or three parties in the distant future or whatever. Our galactic overlord changing it or whatever.
1: That's the thing. Yeah. It's not, I, I don't put a lot of stock in this concern because that has to be tied in. To the very essence of the of the, the 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 UBI itself, it needs to be tied to an independent metric, not only to protect from corruption but also to help it scale. Because I'll tell you, with the Yang's plan, uh, th- sending a thousand dollars to someone who lives in L.A. compared to sending a thousand dollars to say us here in Cleveland mm-hmm. is wildly different. Right. So. In but addition to there's also, nothing so, saying
0: there's nothing saying if you live in LA that you can't move to Iowa and live fat on the hog after 12k a year.
1: It's true, um, but I think it would be more much more effective and more efficient to to implement a very simple scaling technique that ties that tethers the the UBI amount to the poverty line.
0: And, but I think it has to be it the national so poverty easy. line. It has to be the national one. You can't be you can't make more because you're choosing to live in New York City versus like living in I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of a small town. I want to say Boise, but Boise is definitely not a small town.
1: How about Springfield?
0: Yes, yeah, where the Simpsons <laughs> live.
1: <laughs> no, I I I don't I, I disagree. I think that's the much better way to handle it is to basically have the states Audit and distribute comes through the national funnel, but it's scaled. I
0: think it could be a huge Um, boon. I was was talking to Sarah about this earlier. I think it would be a huge boon to smaller towns if suddenly people had this extra income. And you could go ahead and say, hey, move to our small town. We have a killer library. We have 1,200 miles of hiking trails. We have beautiful views. And your $12,000 is equivalent to 300% of what you would get in New York City if you chose to live there.
1: I mean, I'm but, not against that. I would still take, I, but I, I would still take that over, you know, no UBI. Right. I just think it. I think it's a better system if it's a little bit more localized. But it's uh, neither here nor there. I, 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 yeah, I think I, the point here is right. Uh, there's. If, if you build the policy correctly, there should be absolutely zero fear of somebody coming in and just offering a little bit more just to get elected and then doing their own, th- you know what I mean? That, that is uh, pretty straightforward to, to protect against, I believe.
2: Can we talk about uh, unpopularity? When, when you look at Andrew Yang, his numbers for the Democratic primary were very small. When, when you talk about, you know, especially among older voters, when you talk about this idea of a UBI, squarely rejected. Um, just incredibly unpopular. And I think a lot of that has to do with American values. We, we don't really see ourselves as being this country that, you know,
1: redistributes wealth in that way agreed and and this is why i wanted to sorry i'll let this is why i made that appeal to conservatives because i don't think that it is this socialist policy that people make it out to be go ahead
0: i think we have a general disdain for the poor in this country too i think there is a an idea that the poor are lazy there's an idea that the the poor Like I'm not saying that they deserve what they have, but like if they like just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, then they wouldn't have this problem. They just need to go out and get a job. Whereas there there are several like there are poor people who have three jobs and still can't make ends meet.
2: I I think the poor are generally doing a lot better than if you look at how they did like 200 to 400 years ago. I mean, if if the comparison is to fair enough, like thirty years ago, like that's that's a different comparison. But I think if you're talking about the rising tide, I think we're doing exceptionally well. If you look at the broad historical,
0: I mean, (laughs) because the poor were slaves a couple hundred years ago.
2: Yeah, wow. We're doing
0: a lot better than Um,
2: that. (laughs) I mean, yes, I'm
0: just saying I don't disagree with you, (laughs) but I think your your point is. Uh, Weird at best. I mean, you're not wrong.
1: It's not just the poor, though, that I think get that that sort of that that stigma of less worthy uh, unworthiness. I think it's also the working class. I think the working class in this country really, especially over the last twenty to thirty years, as this country has moved. Closer and closer towards like a kind of a corporatist model. It has been at the expense of the workers and the working class, and unions have become weaker and weaker. Right. People can't fight for better pay, better benefits. Um, and I think UBI really flips the table there too. I think it puts all the not all the power, but it puts a ton of power back in the hands of the workers when when they get to that negotiating table.
0: And what happens, like because if they you, don't have you, to work, right? If you are in a position. Where you want to strike, and you don't have six months of income built up, guess what? Like I'm gonna be like eating pretty crappy for the next few months, or until we can come to a, a an agreement. But it gives you a lot more uh, options at the bargaining table. Yeah. Um. So and yeah. And this is
1: so this is one of, of my
0: problems with billionaires. Uh, last week is that for so long the uh, the scales have been tipped in the uh, direction of the wealthy that uh, the billionaires and these big corporations are making money off the backs of the working class. And so if you give them a way to just like get a little bit of a a little leg up, it would change a lot of the equation. So so
2: you're not looking in absolute terms about just objectively, how am I doing? You're, You're looking at somebody else who's Making more, and you're saying, well, I mean, that's not fair. But, but you're not looking at in absolute terms of, you know, can I afford the essentials that I need to survive? Is my entertainment getting incredibly cheap? Is my, uh, you know, is, is the industrial manufacturing making the things that I need to survive incredibly cheap mm-hmm. and affordable? Like, To, to me, like, the, it, it, it's, it's almost a little dirty to be going around reporting on what people who have more have when that's really just drumming up a kind of sentiment of jealousy. I mean, you're not, you're not looking in absolute terms of what you have.
0: My point is those people have more because others have less. They don't have more. Just like coincidentally, they have more because they are stepping on the backs of the people who work for them. They're stepping on the backs of every, like every working class family in this country.
1: I, uh, I, um, I 100% understand that image and where that comes from. Um, and I am not gonna say that I think it's universally not true. I don't think it's as, as always true as, people tend to make it out to be. And, the sure. reason for that and I'm, not I'm not saying I'm not saying it's universal. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, you think about if it, if say Amazon were a kind of company that paid its workers, a robust living wage at, with, with lots uh, a robust benefits package and robust robustity. I just like that <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> At any rate, if, if Amazon were that kind of company, right, who paid paid their workers, treated them well, was just known to be a great place to work. Like, I mean, Google usually kind of has that reputation. Had I would say, like, it gets smaller had. and smaller over years. Right, fair enough. Um, like
0: any but any company. Think who, about any company whose opening tagline was "Don't be evil," and then they had to remove it later on. That is not. That's not great. <laughs> that is not I a good thing.
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Their, their original tag – like Google's original tagline was, don't be evil. And they ended up having to take it away later because they wanted to be evil.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's not a good look. But but that's <laughs> kind of the point is um, Google's reputation has fallen in the last few years too, kind of because of some of those business practices. People actively don't shop Amazon, even though it is certainly the biggest, but think about how much more profitable Amazon could be if they implemented great business practices and everyone went, well, yeah, I want to give them, I want to support that company. Right. I want to make sure that they continue to be successful because they treat their workers right. So they've, I I think, I think Bezos would be even richer.
2: They've studied this, they've studied this extensively and your your idea of being a a conscientious consumer is not universal. Um and in fact, like most people are very resistant, very sticky to um the the price points that they get and very resistant right. to making a um a, a vote with their dollar. Um so- People I think never, that's a vestige of the
1: Boomer generation. I, I think that's sort of a, a leftover vestige of the Boomer generation, though. I, I don't. I Millennials, Gen, even Gen X to a certain extent, and and Millennials and Gen Z do much are much more active when it comes to voting with their dollar. I, at least I believe maybe this maybe the statistics don't pay that out.
2: Okay, so what? When was the last time that you shopped at Amazon? When was the last time you bought something? from walmart when was the last time that you uh bought something that was manufactured in uh, china or india or indonesia where you know it might be so that that workers are being uh, exploited there in like southeast asia or something i i think that the numbers bear out that people are loyal to price points And they are not loyal at all to good business practices. Fact check. Fact check. Fact check. check.
0: And welcome back to Fact Check. This is a super hard thing to fact check. There are so many different studies about how people spend their money depending on how they see a company's ethics. And they all seemingly find opposite results. I'm going to talk about two different things. And at the end, my only goal is that you're as confused as I am. Corporate Social Responsibility, or CSR, was the corporate buzzword of the day starting in about 2015. The idea was that focusing at least some energy on being a capital G good company as opposed to just a good company meant that you could increase your profits. However, a study by Florida Atlantic University's College of Business in 2017 published in the Journal of Corporate Finance... Ouch, that hurt my head. When did I start reading the Journal of Corporate Finance? Anyway, it found that CSR strategies imposed costs on businesses that, quote, in the form of foregone investment opportunities that in the long run leads to losses for their shareholders. Quote, it's not about the money, it's about time, said David, and I'm going to apologize for this up front, Yavikadzee. J-A-V-A-K-H-A-D-Z-E, Ph.D. The Ph.D. was different. That's part of his doctorate. Associate professor of finance who co-authored the paper. Quote, If you invest in socially responsible activities, then you won't have enough resources to invest in more profitable projects, which is not good. It might be good for society. It might be good for managers. But it's not good for shareholders. Okay, that was one thing. Bear with me. I'm not saying it's going to be worth it, but I tell jokes sometimes, and you like me, so you owe me this. Right? That study I just mentioned was back in 2017. Last year, in 2019, a PR firm, Clutch, did a survey of American consumers asking them how CSR influences how people perceive brands and how they choose to shop. Here's what they found. 75% of participants said they're likely to start shopping at a company that supports an issue they agree with. Only 44% of participants said that price was among the most important attributes of a company compared to environmentally friendly business practices, which were at 71%, social responsibility at 68%, and giving back to the local community, which was also at 68%. 59% said they'd stop shopping at a place that supports an issue they disagree with, These people included 70% of Gen Xers, ages 35 to 54, that's me. 54% of them were millennials, that's ages 18 to 34, and only 37% of them were boomers, 55+. plus. It technically said baby boomers, but, you know, I want to be controversial. All these numbers are interesting, but, you know, Walmart's still a thing, so who knows anything? I hope I've thoroughly confused you and said many, many numbers. Let's get back to the show. Back chat, back This is the whole thing about absolutism. Like it doesn't work to say. I mean, I don't shop at Walmart. I haven't shopped at Walmart in 30 years. But that's just like that's just me. And I also don't crap on other people for shopping there because I don't want I don't want to be the one to tell people like your dollar should be spent this way. But I will say the reason why our manufacturing sector has been demolished in the in America is because. We don't we don't shop local. We don't even shop like uh, countrywide. We are most concerned about the lowest possible price we can get on X item, and so because of that, we send our manufacturing our, our dollars overseas. And so, can I
1: that quick tangent here? Uh, but that's actually a really really great thing. Not just for us, it helps bring our price point down, which, as we're talking about, is, is pretty important to Americans. But it also helps those third world countries rise up yeah. out of the third world. People talk about, oh, well, you pay them like $3 a day. Well, that actually is the better path out of, and this has been studied extensively, even by Paul Krugman, who is a notoriously left-wing economist and a no- Nobel Prize-winning economist i think i think he won a nobel prize mini fact check mini fact check
0: yep you won in 2008
1: mini fact check this guy is brilliant he's and and he will tell you he he's written extensively about it how exporting those manufacturing jobs not only helps america's economy but it also helps those countries economy sure so i just don't want to i don't want to put that in the same boat
0: right and this is why last week i said Our economic practices affect other countries, and we have a moral obligation to those countries if we're the ones pushing their uh, workforce's uh, quality of life down instead of up. And that's that's what happens with companies like Walmart, where they say, I need your price point per pencil to be half a penny. I I need you to be able to provide this product at this price point instead of saying, hey, we need to make sure that your workers have this quality of life.
2: So to bring it back to Amazon, um, you know, paying workers well and having a good, innovative, young, thriving workforce that uh, you know is happy to work there and is compensated well is expensive. Is it outweighed by the cost of having people there that are ambitious and are going to have good ideas? Like, maybe to some degree, but uh, the the amount that they save by treating workers horribly, I think that's more money than the value that you're going to get from having good, productive employees. So I mean, that's, that's only wrong.
0: in the
1: short term. In the uh, short term.
0: And that's only true if there aren't a uh, buttload of employees just waiting to take that position after that next person leaves. And... And after this coronavirus thing is over, that's going to be the case again. We're, we're going to have an insane number of businesses go out of business because of the coronavirus. They're going to be, we, we had what, I, last I checked at the beginning of the week, we were at a 6.6 million people out of work now who applied for unemployment
1: which is I mean, I think the doubled the, the one from the, the number from the week before and the which previous, was itself a huge record.
0: The, I believe the the previous record from that was an 88 and it was something like 600,000.
1: It's insane. it's absolutely nuts. I'm just saying it's it's only better
0: for you it's only better for you economically if you can't find another worker that's willing to be exploited because they don't have any other choice.
1: That's the catch is the, uh, a business like Amazon has those frontline workers over a barrel because if they don't have a job, they have nothing. Whereas it with a UBI in place, they have that power, that ability to fight for a better job, to fight for better wages without worrying about how they're going to put food on the table that week.
0: Can I just say, like, one of the most interesting things about a UBI to me is – all the things that we can't figure out that it would help fix. Because it's just it's just money. We don't know... I don't know what your situation is. You don't know what my situation is. But, for example, like, Andrew Yang, when he was on the campaign trail in one of the debates, was talking about how the reason why his campaign was lagging behind was because he wasn't getting very much in donations. And he was saying, if the people that you're standing up for don't have disposable income to spend to support their candidates. How are those candidates going to get ahead? And I think yeah. that's that's interesting. It is like yeah how how are people going to spend this money? Because we don't we just don't know.
1: That being said, when you start to talk about campaign financing, I think there's some other things to take into account. And I'm a huge huge fan of that idea you threw out way back when we did that candidate episode about um, or, or I forget which episode it was actually now. I believe it's candidates and candidate. Was that it? Was that the yeah. one where you talked about, uh, you know, basically, hey, look, everybody gets sort of a hundred campaign dollars that you can <laughs> donate to any number of candidates, however you want. Right. Exactly. And it's sort of fake money that, whatever. Yeah. Who cares? But I, I thought that was a cool idea. But I think that's that's super. The point is the people we talk about Bernie, and one of the big reasons why Bernie, I think, has done kind of really so poorly in this. Campaign is 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 also one of his biggest virtues that he won't accept those big dollars from from large donations, (laughs) and I don't even know that there would be a lot of big donors lining up to donate to him anyway, and because he slanders slaughters them all the time. Well, no, because he's uh, he he understands he's against them.
0: Yeah, that it's unethical for them to spend their money or not spend their money the way it does, like. His whole deal is, I'm going to take your money away. So I wouldn't expect yeah. them to donate to him. Even when, right. when Mike Bloomberg said, like, if you get the <laughs> nomination, I'm going to support you. He uh, like, no, I don't want your money.
2: Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought in uh, Mike Bloomberg. I think it would be a sad state of affairs if we saw a one-to-one correlation of dollars spent to elections won. Now, it might be a pretty strong relationship, but I do take comfort in the fact that we have not seen a one-to-one correspondence with this. Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, like, so we we all have our problems with Biden, but, uh, and like, I would say Trump had this too, where Biden spent almost no money on Super Tuesday and won a ton of states that he hadn't put a dollar one in that he hadn't stepped foot in. Donald Trump, when he got elected, did not actually use a ton of money. He did a lot of stuff on social media, and he got his name out there, and he did these rallies. And so he didn't spend a lot of money, even though he's apparently rich, well, question mark. I
2: want I, I wanted to say, yeah, I think I saw that Hillary Clinton outspent Trump. Um, now, I, I probably need a fact check here, but it was something like a factor of, like, two to one or three to one or something.
0: Fact check. Hey there. According to Bloomberg News, Hillary Clinton spent one billion one hundred and ninety one million. Donald Trump spent six hundred and forty six point eight million. So almost twice as much from the Clinton campaign. But you know, you know how math works. You
2: probably could have figured that out on your own.
1: Bye. Mini
2: fact check. That that she just like massively, massively oversp- overspent him. And, you know, I think that th- we could be doing better on this front, but at least it's not just the person who is spending the most. Like, that feels like kind of like a small <laughs> consolation. Um, but Mike Bloomberg would have won if it was just the person who had spent the most. Yeah. So, I mean, we see yeah, that that's I, not yeah. true. But so, also, I think that yeah. there are other problems besides just money with the Andrew Yang platform and with UBI. I think that we're seeing resistance that is not just accounted for by who is spending money on it. I think we're seeing ideological problems with that idea taking over.
0: And I think the, the people having a problem or a misunderstanding of the poor being lazy gets all wrapped up in that. I think there's this idea that uh, to be a good person, you need to be a, pr- a productive person. To be a good person you you need to be doing X, Y, or Z, whatever your job is. You need to be out there like pounding the pavement or whatever. Well and we, so need to, we need to separate that.
1: I don't here's my question, I guess, is why do why do we as Americans feel so stuck in this very outdated concept of what work looks like, what a job looks like. Right. I think that's a big problem. I think there's this – people scoff and I think you kind of – you did it earlier even joking about yourself that, uh, oh, si- sitting at home and playing video games as a career as though that were a joke. But why is that a joke? a perf- That should be a perfectly viable career option no. and there shouldn't be any problem with Cle- that. Clearly not um, everyone you know, people- can do that. Clearly, well, clearly, the number of people not,
2: that want to do so that vastly outstrip the number of reasons. jobs that could really be sustained in our economy by doing that. Uh, I mean, no. I just I like I don't think that that's an essential service that is helping better humanity.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's fair. It's the same thing about like people who think they can like get out of their situation by like playing basketball the best or being the best guitar player. And starting a cool band or rapping or like any, like anything in the, like, if you want to become an entertainer, like a superstar entertainer, there are people who do that. It's just not a lot of
2: people. So if, if aliens came down tomorrow and they said, we're going to execute all of the, the doctors on Earth, or we're going to execute all of the farmers on Earth, like, that would be a big deal. If they said instead, like, we're going to execute all of the video game YouTubers, or all of the Mumbo people Jumbo, that were stre- no. all the people that were streaming on Twitch like you know it's not it's not going <laughs> to man that's that sucks it's yeah it's not going to ruin uh, our chances of surviving as a species see what i'm saying i was going
1: to say outside of climate control we are so far past being concerned about our survival as a as a species right. right that that is not a relevant conversational point like to mm-hmm. me like and once we learn um, how to
0: farm, things change.
1: Yeah so and, and that's kind of the whole point is this should have the same kind of um, transformative effect on the e- economy and society as a whole as the agricultural revolution did 10,000 years ago. So that's that's
2: super interesting that you should mention that we're not worried about our survival of the species in the midst of a global a pandemic. pandemic that uh, a lot of experts have said that this is okay. this will be the first but we're not but concerned not about getting wiped out we're
1: them. concerned about a lot of us dying but we're not concerned about getting wiped out even remotely if 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 the genetic
2: code of the coronavirus was just a little bit worse was just a little bit more lethal I think we would be talking about an existential threat to
1: our species. And I don't, I don't think it would take a very big mutation. Listen, the biggest, most deadly plague in, in human history killed about 10% of the world population. That sucks, big time. Uh, can, we get a, can we get a fact check on
2: that? Because at one point, it was Europe, though. Um, <laughs> the Black Death killed, I want to say, like 40% of uh, the population yeah. of Europe. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Okay, so you're I'm contrasting sure how, that to the right. globally.
0: Um, I just want to remind you guys that well, uh, we're talking about UBI and not uh, the kill rate of various diseases. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, welcome back to another fact check. Here's our top ten list of most deadly pandemics over time. Coming in at number ten. From 1889 to 1890, the Russian flu with one million deaths. At number nine. The Asian flu from 1957 to 1958 with 1.1 million deaths. Number 8. In 1600, roundabout, the 17th century Great Plagues, coming in at 3 million. Number 7. The Antonin Plague, from 165 to 180, with 5 million deaths. Number 6. In 1855, the third plague, with 12 million deaths. Number five. From 1981 to current day, the HIV AIDS crisis, having claimed 25 to 35 million victims so far. Number four. The plague of Justinian from 541 to 542 took out 30 to 50 million people.
2: Number three.
0: The Spanish flu, 1918 to 1919, with 40 to 50 million deaths. Number two. That would be smallpox. 15, 20. 56 million deaths. And your number one pandemic of all time? That's right, the Black Death, bubonic plague, 1347 to 1351, coming in at 75 million to 200 million deaths. That took out 30 to 50% of Europe's population. It took more than 200 years for the continent's population to recover. And that's it. Thanks for playing our game. Back to the show. Uh, so if we could go ahead and, like, shift back back to UBI. Um yeah, like what are, like we started out talking about it, but what are some of the other concerns that people have with UBI?
1: Well, a lot of people so we talked about kind of the de-deincentivization, right? That demotivational factor. Um we talked about the cost concerns. Mm-hmm. Um there's also a concern and this is mm-hmm. sort of tied in with what Pat said about the the politicians concern, which is um that the inflation would balloon And the UBI would become not a useful amount. It would be useless. And I I think that's also resolved very easily by tying it to that poverty line. Right.
0: I think Um, that there are definitely, like, I think reasonable concerns. So, Pat, earlier you were talking about, uh, for example, politicians being able to tie how much money people get in the UBI to their campaigns and how that would skew a campaign terribly and, like, make the program uh, unsustainable. I think another one that is concerning is rent prices going through the roof. If everybody's getting a thousand dollars a month, if you know a couple is getting a thousand dollars a month, why why am I charging right. eight hundred dollars when I'd be charging fifteen hundred dollars for this same apartment?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, so inflation is really a big problem. When you don't know where that money is going to come, if you can solve the problem of where that money comes from in the economy, you're not going to have the same inflation problem. If it's if it's money that already exists that's coming from somewhere else,
1: like if it's a tax right. percent, then if you're as long it, it scales right next the, to the itself. Because the big problem with
2: inflation is when you are making dollars from nothing when you are just printing the money to demand or you're just taking out uh government debt that is not backed up by anything um right. and we're just going to all agree that this money exists and and create it um that's that is the really big inflation problem but i agree i it, if landlords know that and and you could talk about this for really Anything in the economy, any good or service, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I like the example of landlords. If they know that there is, uh, 11, uh, 1100 or, uh, 1000 extra dollars in everybody's pocket every month, I think they might look at that and start increasing prices. I think that's a legitimate cons- concern.
0: Right. And, yeah. and for me, yeah. all this stuff is, it's not reasons not to do it. It's things to figure out. It's it's problems to be addressed.
1: Well,
2: are you going to take people's freedom away to charge what they want for goods and services? Yes, uh, that's that's very anti-American.
0: You're gonna you're gonna take away people's ability to overcharge people for no reason. I mean, I and I don't know what that looks like, but yes, yeah, that, absolutely, I'm willing to do that.
1: That's a great that that right there is is the one thing about UBI that I don't feel like is easy to fix or at least that I'm most conflicted about because I would tend to from a practical standpoint I would tend to lean towards what Nathan is saying yeah well let's let's price control rent so that those renters can't just jack it up (laughs) but then yeah my inner self does that grimace that you just did Pat where I'm like oof I am not really comfortable with that. <laughs> what about something like this? So, um,
0: you, you take, a uh, universal, uh, healthcare, for example, as a model, and we find a way to have good, safe, sustainable, uh, government housing, and not in the horrible way we've done it traditionally, but like more high-end stuff as a way, and you don't necessarily need to even make it that, that cheap. But something that is a decent price in a, like in a safe way, in a safe neighborhood, we're not talking about projects. And then you create this thing that other companies need to compete against. You have, you have a public option that is good and healthy and people want. And then as landlords, you need to make sure that you are providing something akin to that, either in price or if you want to charge more, akin to the additional amenities you give.
1: No, so I, what I like about that is it does use that kind of Medicaid for all who want it, Pete Buttigieg model. Right. And I think that that's really effective. I, might mm-hmm. I guess a concern uh, that might even be a little too strong of a word, but a, uh, a con, I guess, to that is it sort of starts to negate that we're getting rid of these other government programs factor. And, I don't want to go into a slippery slope argument, but I think that there is a little bit of a valid concern about that potentially becoming a little, uh, you know, growing too much or expanding too much and and backing backing off the, the money we're saving from cutting those programs. I don't think it's a big concern, but that's my initial reaction. So th-
2: this this might not right. be borne out by the numbers. I will have to independently look and, and see if this is true. But um, do you think that people are less careful or less financially intelligent about something that you give them for free rather than something that they've earned? I can tell you that in my experience something that you spent a lot of hours to earn, it it takes on a special significance. Like I'm going to be more careful with that and I'm going to try and spend that on things that are going to be good investments in the long run. If you just wrote me a check tomorrow for a
1: $1,000, I'm not sure that I would spend that in the same way. So what I hear you saying is that it actually requires more discipline, and would help train Americans to spend their money more wisely, and be more frugal and more conscious about how they spend their money. Then, no,
2: I don't. I don't think right people will learn that lesson, and I don't think that this will teach them that lesson.
0: Well, but is so, that is that also our goal, though? I mean, again, when we're talking about personal freedoms, like if you had this extra money and you had a bunch of money that you haven't had it for a while. Maybe you're going to go blow it for a couple of months and then you're going to realize, oh crap, when I get that thousand dollars next month, I really need to like pay down some debt or enroll in this class or whatever. Like, don't you think people would like maybe you're going to blow February and March, but when April rolls around, you're it going sounds, to use it for something else? It
2: sounds like you have a lot and of even, faith in people's ability to learn lessons over time. I don't know. I don't know that I'm as optimistic. I, but I about don't
0: that. like. But I don't care. Even them blowing this money would still help out the economy, depending on what they're spending it on. Even if they're like going to their weed <laughs> dealer. Sure, but it, that weed dealer is still going to like go spend that money on like I don't know. I don't want to uh, pigeonhole the uh, weed dealer. So let's say a membership to his local art museum. So
2: I have I have a real concern about when taxes get taken out of my check or something that those dollars are being spent in the most effective way that hopefully on something that i would agree with and i think is a good idea and is a good investment in the long term if we've decided that like we're actually just giving this to everybody with no strings attached that this is just right. going everywhere i don't feel the same you know i i was already concerned in the first place about it being wasted and not being spent effectively and now that's just right out the window. Like, now, like, we're not even going to bother to make sure that well, this that's, is spent effectively.
0: Yeah, no, because uh, making sure it's spent so, effectively is, brings back that bureaucracy that makes the old programs inefficient in the first place.
2: What are you doing efficiently? Well, and like, it becomes a nanny what's state. What's been done efficiently? I don't know that there's any ideas about this being
1: efficient at all. The government, as a rule, is generally not very efficient, but... Uh, I think it also raises questions of a nanny state, Pat. If you're concerned about personal freedoms, people are gonna spend their money however they want anyway. Wouldn't it be better, from a a, a sense of like of not of avo- avoiding the nanny state right. problem, to say, look, we gave you enough to to live. If you chose to use it on not living, that's on you, and you're probably gonna die my gut feeling about it is that it is a
2: more of a nanny state to give people money every month. But I mean, that's just my gut reaction. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right reaction.
0: Right. And, and my thing is I, nobody, we don't know. We don't know any of this stuff. Like for me, my, my argument now is I would like to go out and do a series of experiments with people in like different income brackets and in, di- in different parts of the country, I want to go ahead and like give some smart people some resources to go ahead and test this out and see what the best way to
1: go about it is, if it makes sense. So there have there have been several tests of it um, in on in different scales, and I think that those are all worth checking out. There was one in Finland. There was one place in California. I can't remember. And you mentioned the there was an Alaskan one earlier. Arguably there's an Alaskan one right yeah, now. Yeah, I think the, mm-hmm. it's still ongoing. Yeah. I think that a lot of those are potentially flawed, but I think the, the concept... So a lot of those tests have been seriously flawed. There have been issues, uh, a wide range of issues that right. they've encountered. None of them are not solvable. Right. That's the thing. They're all things that we can... We can figure out a way to, to work it. In fact, just in the last hour and a half to, to two hours here, we've discussed most of the problems and provided possible solutions. Yeah. So I think to that point, if if the goal of implementing policy that A, helps move society forward while B, help, so I mean, here, I think about it this way, right? Bring It brings up the floor, as Nathan said earlier, but it doesn't bring down yeah. the ceiling. We talked last week a lot about not making it so people can't be super rich, and it doesn't do that. It probably taxes them a little bit more heavily than it does right now, considering the average uber-wealthy person pays less in taxes than we do, both as a percentage and as a raw Um, yeah figure. without loopholes they would maybe fact I mean, check that but, they use a lot of loopholes but yeah. so they don't so, but they could so potentially I, I think if you have an opportunity to to raise the floor on society to make it so that less people are homeless on the streets are destitute malnourished etc cetera, etc cetera, you improve the entire I society also
0: add the depression rate the suicide rate would go down there are all kinds of things like it would take a fundamental stress that our generation has and the generation like after us has
1: that and every single one do of us You guys know what the they do
2: in uh, Saudi Arabia and certain like oil rich countries in the Middle East um, the the government has enough money from selling oil that they they do something that is kind of similar to a universal basic income their their citizens are basically all rich <laughs> Everyone is wealthy because um, the government uh, gives people a profit share in the oil money, awesome. and so like there.
0: American companies could learn something from that.
1: Mm, yeah, companies good. Well, it comes. I don't it know it about comes the government Particularly from a boon it,
2: from this natural resource. I mean, there is plenty of oil in America.
1: Limited natural resource.
2: I don't know that it's a one-to-one comparison. Fact Check! Fact Check!
0: Fact Check! And welcome back to Fact Check. The Citizens' Account Program in Saudi Arabia is what Pat is talking about. It's a cash transfer program that started in December of 2017. The program is run by the Ministry of Labor and Social Development. Citizens in Saudi Arabia get monthly payments from the state. Saudi Arabia is trying to move away from oil as their only source of revenue... But this has caused wide unemployment as well as the cost of things like electricity to skyrocket. The CAP program is intended to help offset this. And that's it. Let's get back to the show. Back check, back check,
2: back check.
0: It's really interesting. Um Alright. I think uh, so is, are there any other points we want to make? Because I think we're uh starting to come up on uh where we need to be coming in for a landing. Is there any other things you guys wanted to talk about with UBI, like something that we didn't like cover yet?
1: Oh, I'm sure there is. Um, and there's no I mean, reason why
0: we can't revisit this in the future.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I I think I
2: said I think, I think I that's I good enough for now. The, the stuff that I wanted to get out there.
0: Yeah, and I think again, Pat, your point is taken, and I do think there are uh, problems that need to be fixed but i don't think any of them are beyond our ability to figure yeah. out
1: cool. and so i just uh, i wanted to encourage all of our listeners no matter what political philosophy you come from socialism libertarianism general you know conservatism liberalism whatever take a really long look at ubi read more about it pull that thread because I think in doing so, you're going to find that it's just uh, an effective, efficient, new... I think it's the future of of, econo- of, the, of the economy. I think it's the future for America. I think it's the future for the world. And I think that it has value to everyone. And for me, sense.
0: if I can just say real quick, and uh, I know uh, Andrew Yang agrees with me. It's the only reasonable solution to automation. As automation becomes more and more prevalent, uh, not only here but around the world, this is going to be one of the things that makes that possible. And the number. Right, of I'm, I'm glad you brought
2: automation up because um, I think it's a system that can only work when the value that you're bringing in is more than the human labor cost more than the Lost. human labor mm-hmm. capital. When, when you look at the examples of like the Saudi Arabian companies, they have this natural resource that the value is coming from giving them the luxury to put out a UBI. If you have a technological revolution and everything's being automated, you have a boon that you can distribute in the form of UBI. I think it doesn't come from a vacuum. I think it has to come from somewhere or the numbers just don't add up. I, I don't think it's sustainable without that added value
1: yeah. from somewhere. Quick side note, I, I, I would argue that uh, I think you could probably make up for the remaining cost of a UBI program by just cutting some military funds.
0: <laughs> but- <laughs> Man, that's – that would be a fun episode to have, uh, but it's like that's another thing. Yeah, it's that's another, a whole other thing. It's yet another third rail of politics that people can't that, That's, like, that's, that's going to be a whole about.
2: episode. That's well, not going to be the tail end stinger of, of this Oh, for one. sure.
1: For sure. I only bring it up now just to make the point that there, there's a lot of government spending that doesn't need to be going on and could be right. better spent.
0: Um, and I do remember in the past, uh, I think this is under the Bush administration, the, the military came and said, we don't need as much of a budget as you've given us. But the president wanted, didn't want to seem like a weak on the military. So he gave them more money than they were getting before. Like the military was trying to be fiscally responsible and saying like, oh, we're fighting smaller wars and we're getting more technically advanced. We don't actually need so much money. And the president was like, have more money. So, like, when we don't actually listen to the people who are
1: spending the money... Which, which president that's did you not say great. that
0: was? George W.
1: It'd be great if our presidents would listen to their top advisors and experts, wouldn't it?
0: It would be so good. Uh The last thing I'm going to say before we uh get into the PM, the precious moments of it all, is that... Uh, uh like, Did I say that
2: right? It
0: Kurzgesagt uh has an excellent video on UBI that I'm going to put in the doobly-doo uh, after the episode. If you want to spend like 10 minutes getting a good idea of the issue as a whole, um, I think they did a really good job.
1: There's also a – I don't know much about your whatever the heck YouTube thing you just mentioned. Uh, there's a great interview with – on the Rubin Report, Dave Rubin did with this libertarian conservative guy who was advocating for UBI. Just as a sample of you know a right winger who supports it.
0: If you get it to me, I'll get it to them.
1: I will do that. I'm i I'm, I'm a huge fan
2: of Chris Kasak. I, I like pretty much everything They're fantastic. That they've done. They're fantastic. I don't know um, what it is.
0: So I might I'll put I'll put in the UBI thing and maybe a couple other samples of their work because it's fantastic. They have a coronavirus one that is also very very good. So all right, but uh, I think it might be time, gentlemen, for.
1: Precious moments.
2: Mine for this week. So, for the first time on Twitter, I actually got an official reply from one of the lead designers for Magic the Gathering. Um, He wasn't terribly happy with me, but he did kind of, like, respond to my troll post. So it's the closest thing that I've ever been to being Twitter famous. Um so I'm kind of happy for the attention, I suppose, but also he was not he was not impressed <laughs> with me at all. So what did you, what did you do? So there's a new mechanic that's coming out. I don't know, for for people who don't uh, follow MTG, this might be a little bit hard to follow. But um I have to assume so, most of our listeners so they changed, follow it. They I mean, made they make pretty cards that are going to change um, the way that basic rules work about the game so in order to play this card you um, you basically get like a free resource it's like an eighth card in your hand as opposed to seven but you have to completely change the way that your deck is constructed in order to play it and i i pointed out that they have no system in place for verifying that people have authentically made the right choices to their deck that they are supposed to do. And the, that point pointing out that inconsistency with, with being unable to enforce a rule resulted in about two hundred replies from various people, including Mark Rosewater, who's who's the lead designer for MTG and um he pretty much like tried uh, he 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 made some arguments that were pretty convincing he he basically tried to shut me down i wasn't completely convinced by his arguments so his argument was that it was the same as trusting your opponent to not play five copies of a card usually you can only play four copies of a card and people can already cheat anyway um i i don't really fully buy that because you know just trusting that People will do the right thing. The, the simple fact of that people could already cheat doesn't negate the fact that you've given people a new opportunity to cheat with no oversight whatsoever. But I don't, I don't think I really convinced him on that point, but.
0: Well, I have to say, like, this is one exciting thing about living in the age we live in is that, like, when I was a kid, if I wanted to, like, get in touch with, like, I don't know. Yeah. Tom Selleck, because I I loved Magnum PI or whatever. That's not a thing that could happen. Like I could write a letter to his manager, and they'd go ahead and use the stamp with his signature and send me like a like a letter that said like, "Keep on driving that Ferrari, Higgins." Boom boom.
2: Yeah. People are uh, more anyway. accessible than ever on Twitter. Absolutely, and it and it's weird. This because- thing that you
0: love that you spend a chunk of your life on. You had like an immediate connection to the well, person it who else designed that. It my mind
2: because I I never in a million years expected him to respond, and then I got a response and I kind of didn't really know what to do with it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't think I'd get this far.
0: Do you feel differently about it? Like in retrospect, would you have not um, sent out that tweet?
2: So if you knew he was reading it, no, I still would have sent it out. So uh, uh, he he made some pretty convincing arguments that I feel. I feel better about the decisions that they made, you know, from a rules perspective and like the direction that they are going. I feel better about it with the answers that I was provided. But at the same time, I think that that was valuable feedback for me to provide as well. And a lot of people agree with my sentiment that, you know, if you're... If you're making rules that you have absolutely no intention or no possibility of enforcing, that you're kind of eroding away at your ability to make rules. Does that make sense? Yeah. I
0: mean, as much as it can. It makes as much sense as I'm willing to put <laughs> effort into uh, effort. knowing what sense it does make.
2: Yeah, but that was, that was my precious moment from the weekend. That's awesome. And, uh, my
0: precious moments for this week is a little bit mean, but I don't care because I think it's hilarious. Outside, uh, North, uh, North Carolina abortion clinic, about 50 people were cited for, uh, gathering, uh, because of the stay at home order so they could harass, uh, women who are trying to get abortions. And so eight people were arrested, uh, 12 people were, had citations given out to them and like 50 people were just Sort of, like, strewn to the four corners of the earth. Uh, I know at least one other, uh, person was arrested from a, an abortion clinic, I believe, in Pennsylvania. Like, stay home, people. Even if you, like, want to protest your, your favorite thing, or your least favorite thing, stay home. There are also mega churches that keep on opening up and encouraging, like, 2,000 people to come together to worship on Sunday mornings.
1: Like, no. Like, ar- arrest those pastors. Can, can, can I... Hmm, I'm going to definitely sound like a very bad person, but I am not losing any sleep over any of those megachurches that are holding services.
0: Well, here's the thing. If they weren't... Not it's, an eye. it's really interesting to me. I've been thinking about this. The people who are listening to Trump, for, for example, the malaria drug that he keeps pushing... Uh, he literally stopped Dr. Fauci from being able to answer a question the other day about how that drug was not – like, there's no evidence that it's effective. In fact, there's some evidence that it's not effective so far, but the president didn't want to get that out there. And he keeps lying about the disease and other conservatives and keep on, like, encouraging people to go out uh, of need or whatever. Like, the people who are believing this stuff tend to be conservative and – I don't want those people to get hurt. I'm like, I know I tend to push a very specific brand of politics on the podcast, but that doesn't mean I want people to get hurt. And it's because of their own ignorance and the people that are choosing to believe that they are getting hurt. Like this is not a situation where your faith is going to protect you from the coronavirus. You need to stay home and worship as you choose, but do it over zoom.
1: So, Two thoughts on in response. First, um, I I just kind of want to push back a little bit on using the term conservative because I think that these people take their conservative political philosophy is not really a part of why they think the way they do anymore. Um, they've been able to extricate themselves from that and basically replace it with religion and Trump, which they treat Trump like their their Trumpism borders on a religious cultish attitude anyway.
0: Right. I would I I would agree that they're a subset of uh, conservatives.
1: When you talk I mean I think that I guess they probably technically would call themselves conservatives, but the concept of conservatism is not something that they probably could even define for you. Let alone playing a big factor in their in their philosophy. I think dupes gonna get duped. People who are prone to fall for misinformation and stupidity and things of that nature are going to do so. And yeah, but
0: those those dupes are going to get me and my family sick.
1: Is well, the problem. Only if you go and interact with them.
0: But I I can't control when those dupes head into Target and in, like the every week and a half or so that I like venture from my house. What I I'm understand. saying is like those dupes have a responsibility to the public to not do their dumb ass dumb mastery. So the
2: the people who um are going and protesting abortion clinics are not an incredibly popular group, if I can if I can make that assertion. Like I don't I don't particularly think that they are phenomenal. I, a lot of people that I know would not think that that is a moral or great thing to be doing. Right,
0: I think they have the they have but the not, right to but do what during, they're doing, but not
2: during a, a as long pandemic. as they don't
0: like. Like,
2: yes, I I
0: agree with exactly.
2: that, but I think that it's we we need to be very careful that we are not arresting people for political reasons using a pandemic as an excuse. Absolutely, arrest those people that are protesting the right. clinic, but then you know you you kind of have a responsibility to arrest. Anyone else who's not like specifically doing something for their survival? Absolutely. If if it were a bunch of liberals out
0: there who are having a big like liberal protest for whatever, absolutely go yeah. arrest those a- too. Now,
1: I have I, want to I be have zero clear. problem with that. Just because, I, let me rephrase what I said because I, I no one should be going out anyone for pretty much any reason, right? With the obvious exceptions being. Essential stuff, health care, yeah, things, things food, need to delivery, and shopping, you know, right. So I'm not, like, over here clicking my heels that these religious people are going to church and probably all getting sick and most and a, a really, of Really? Because I, I are think you said so. that. You weren't not going to glee, shed a tear I, for them. Well, that's <laughs> different from, from clicking my heels. Um, marginally, marginally. I, I guess, that's, sure. That's a slight difference. I'm not happy... But if anyone is going to be the ones who are going to expose their 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 little community, they would probably get my vote if I had to vote. <laughs> Does that make sense? Maybe yeah. we just clip that whole thing from the... <laughs> Not like... <sighs> Survival of the fittest. If
2: Oh, no. We're, everybody's going everybody to hear right, what, you, hear what be, you said. You, just get, you if, get a if chance you to clarify. Like, if you clarify. decide that um, you know, Clarity on your own, here. nobody else has made you naturally select yourself into
1: lower survivability than too bad kind of also like um let me let me back up maybe a different here here's really what what all right i don't want anyone to be going out and getting sick and exposing themselves puts everyone at risk i mean they can expose themselves to me however i am not surprised in the least that this group is still going to do these activities, and the Schadenfreude is kind of strong. You're gonna a bit you're gonna there. run into real <laughs> problems if the government starts
2: telling uh, religious organizations that they can't meet. Now, if you suggest that they shouldn't meet, you probably shouldn't. And for the good of your congregation, it's probably a great idea that you don't. But um, there's a separation. But they've, there's a, they've already there's told them the Separation can't of church and state. Um, it's questionable whether they even have the authority to do that.
0: No, they they absolutely have the authority to tell you to stay at home, and they have done that. And these churches are choosing to break the law despite that. Well, those and, churches can go ahead and, and meet like they can meet virtually. The that pastor can go ahead and do videos on Sunday morning. Uh, You could go ahead and, like, interact with his congregation whenever he wants, virtually, but those people are breaking the law. They—the state has the absolute authority in this case to tell them to stay home, and they've done it. Last I heard, something like 13 states still don't have stay-at-home orders, which is bonkers to me. So I guess if you're in that state, you can go and, like, get all, like, outbreak monkeyed up at church or whatever, but—
1: well. So I also would disagree that that's a violation of separation of church and state because first of all, that's a concept that's written about in Federalist Papers, but and and but in terms of like the actual legal precedent of separation of church and state, it's that it doesn't show the government the can't make it. Well, it does in the First Amendment, but does it? Yeah, the freedom You'd to have exercise to show that to religion. Me. Well you have the you have the yeah you absolutely have the freedom to worship
0: what like however you want. Right. But again um, separation of church and state doesn't appear in the constitution.
1: Which is my point that they're not violating anything. The 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 legal phrasing is such that a precautionary measure such as a stay at home order during an outbreak would very definitely not violate it. I guess I shouldn't say very definitely, but it would be a real real stretch to say that that violates what is legally protected
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna have to look at the wording and we can we can open the next episode and we can we can talk about um because i i I I don't and i don't like and i don't want to argue that people don't have a right to like
0: worship but i think they also have a responsibility to not spread this disease yeah so anyway right um, and that's that's the bigger point. i if i can if i could say uh one other thing uh that i have absolutely loved it I just found it uh, yesterday on uh, Amazon Instant Video. It's a show called Tales from the Loop. And it's based on the art of this guy that I love. <laughs> He's a Swedish artist, so I'm sure I'm going to uh, mispronounce this. Uh, but his name is Simon Stalenhag. Um, and he does these weird futuristic paintings of sort of a sometimes apocalyptic world, sometimes a world dealing with like different kinds of weird technology, but it's just a series of paintings. And the show, Steel Tales from the Loop, is based on one of his books of paintings that he released. And it is, we've only seen two episodes, but it's wild. It's so crazy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna link a link to uh, his uh, online art gallery in the doobly-doo as well. But uh, I have loved his stuff for years, and I didn't know they had created a show on it until I was, like, just skipping through trying to find something to watch and saw his name pop up, and I was like, what? So, Simon Stalinhog. Cool. Or Stalenhag, or something. Sounds cool. Uh, Andy, did you have a precious moment? Or did you just uh, pop awesome. off our precious Maybe. moments? Yeah, I feel
1: like, I mean, I could... I feel like I kind of covered everything in the beginning, really. I don't know. I don't really have a great You're one. still an uncle. Yeah. You remain
0: an uncle from the beginning
1: to the yeah, end yeah. of the episode. Wow. I think i, I, think uh, I You're an uncle.
2: Congratulations. That's phenomenal. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. No, that's that's way better than awesome. that's Well, better than well than it fun. has been
0: uh, nice yanging out with you guys uh, <laughs> today. Hang out with your yangs out, everybody. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been fun. Wow. <laughs> Well, uh, it's been fun. Uh, thanks oh, for hanging out with us, everybody. And I really need to come
1: up with a catchphrase. Mm. I really hope that uh, we give you guys something to think about this week. All right, love you, bye.
0: And no one can argue that that was not an episode. They could try, but they would be wrong.